0: Hi, everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons of The Right Club, and my co-host today with me is Catherine Nelson Riley, our operations manager. Catherine, we had such a great time in part one of this episode with Nancy, or this interview with Nancy, that we just kept on going, and we've got part two now. It's She's got so much great information, a wealth of knowledge, and I she makes me laugh, too. And you know what? What
1: better way to learn something than to laugh, right? Absolutely. She's got such a great sense of humor, but she also has so many great points that we can carry with us. And one of her attributes, I think, is that she she allows the light bulb to go off. As she's talking, you're getting all these light bulbs and thinking, wow, and self-recognition, I've been doing that. What can I do to be able to adjust? What tips can I take in order to move forward? And she's doing that in this particular episode. But she's always such a fabulous wealth of information. So I'm going to say, let's get on and continue the conversation with Nancy. Oh, that's great. And before we do that, though, just a reminder,
0: you can go to therateclub.com. Lots of free information there. Hundreds and hundreds of hours. Our video content, podcasts. Go and take a look. It's free to join. And, you know, rate us. It would be lovely if you would rate us on whatever platform you're listening on that helps us reach other people. To become to help them to become successful in whatever they're doing too. So with that said, let's go listen to Nancy Morris, part two of our interview.
1: Welcome
2: to the Right Club podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life.
0: So if we back up a little bit to the performance of the outcome goals, so. What I'm hearing you say is that we have this large outcome, desired outcome. And within that, so it's, it's our five doors. Then within that, we have other desired outcomes. Because again, like deciding that I want to work with a joint yeah. venture, you know, joint partners or joint venture, right? Okay. That's the desired outcome. I would like that, but maybe I can't find anybody. That's, yeah. and within that, I can break that down into my Performance goals. I mean, something and I might be able to do something else. I, I can't think of anything right now, but, but there are other things that I could do. So I write that down. That's what I want to achieve within my overarching um desired outcome. I have some desired outcomes, right? Like we'll put it like that. It's like a it's like yep. a tree branching yep. down until I finally get to a place where I can now say, okay. If this is my desired outcome, now these are the actions or the performance goals that I can set for myself. So I can set the performance goal. And all that comes, the daily action, like you said, picking up the phone, sending emails, mm-hmm. going out to networking. I mean, even something as simple and it's not really that simple as writing down what you want and mm-hmm. be really clear because if you're really clear, And then you do pick up the phone. You do talk to someone and they ask the questions. You are so clear. It makes it easy for them, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a yes or no. Generally speaking, yes, it does. But whether they decide to come and work with you or not is so it's out of your control. Um, But you can still walk out of the meeting having achieved your performance goal. So let's say I have a desired outcome of talking with Laurel about Doing a joint venture or joint investment on something, Laurel being you. <laughs> and I get, and I do get you on the phone. I do arrange a meeting with you. Well, my performance goal then becomes before our meeting, I'm going to read up on XYZ. I'm going to make sure I have my numbers ABC. I'm going to not go out partying the night before and ensure I'm hungover before my call with Laurel. You know, I, these are all my performance goals. These are things that are within my control. I get on the phone with you and you say, no, I can still come off that call and say, I did the best I could. Everything else is not within my control. I'm not in charge of it. So I might feel disappointed. Of course, I'd feel disappointed, but it doesn't impact who I think I am or my confidence. Maybe I would say to myself, okay, what can I learn from that experience of that conversation? What question did Laurel ask me that I didn't have the answer for? Or, you know, something along those lines. Because, you know, remember the days when you used to go apply for a job? Yes. And, you, yeah. <laughs> and there'd be like 30 people interviewing for the job. The person's desired outcome is to get that job. But we know, we understand that it's not within our control. We know that. It's up to the person interviewing us. To decide whether or not we're going to get that job. And we recognize that. We don't seem to take that same understanding into these actions, into these aspects of our everyday life. We seem to think that we can control stuff that other people are doing or saying or the decisions they're making. And we seem to think we can do that. On the one hand, we clearly recognize that when we're going for a job interview, we can't actually control that. All that we can do is show up, do the best that we can in the interview do our pre-interview work or whatever, and we understand that, but we don't seem to understand that it is exactly the same in every other aspect of life. The decisions other people make, I can't control. Period. Full stop. End of story. Situations, all that I cannot control. What I can control are the decisions I make and the choices I make with the time that I have to take these action steps. Right. So, so it's the same sort of thing. And in doing that, we are retaining control or staying in charge of our self esteem and our confidence, our confidence, our self esteem, our self efficacy, which is our, which is self efficacy is how you feel about your ability to achieve your goals. Okay. So if I'm saying that goals, Or like hundred grand a year or something like that. I have no control over that. So my self-advocacy is going to be crap. Because I have no control of it. On average, people will achieve maybe 40% of their desired outcomes. They still call them goals, though. And so people will say, oh, I don't get my goals very often. Not recognizing that what they've done is they've handed everything over to another person's decisions i can come out of a meeting and know that i've achieved my performance goal of doing the best that i could in that moment whether you decide to invest with me or not there's a huge difference in how the mindset will play out at the end of those two conversations and that's really interesting though because you talked about the inner critic and the noise we you know carry around
0: we all carry around noise right a little earlier and so when you come out of that meeting and you have done everything you could you've prepared you've answered the questions and you know you've done your absolute best and yet best you look good whatever it is right and yet you come out and you go because we're human we go well yeah maybe you get a no right away maybe it's a little later okay right shit yeah but i suck yes i hate this right that happens that yeah so how do we deal with that because as a human being, we are wired to immediately
2: beat ourselves up. We just do. Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Ah, there we go, well, right? Okay, so I'll debate that point with you. We're not actually wired to do that. We learn how to do that, but okay. we learn very young how to be self-judgmental. The, we learn how to do that. little kids, little you look at little kids and they're prancing about and they are just they are a princess or they're a dragon slayer or, you know, they're just so full of themselves. They have no worries whatsoever about how amazing they are. And then over time, we learn that we suck. You know, we start hearing noise outside and we start bringing it in. That's exacerbated by the word should. I should, you should, they should. That word, and I've spoken, I think I spoke to you about on one of the other episodes about the word should, that it is, in fact, one of the most destructive words in the English language. And there are some languages, I don't know much about other languages, but I have spoken to a few people who are linguists or, you know, understand this stuff far better than I do. And there are languages that don't have an equivalent to the word should. So... Oh yeah. So there that is the word should by definition is a standard that society agrees upon. Personal and professional success for oneself need not be dependent on shoulds. Need not be dependent on what society thinks. But we learn very young to should on ourselves and other people. And the noise in our head around should is so loud sometimes. So using your example, Coming out of that meeting, I get a no from you, say, which you would never say no to me anyway, but let's just go with it. I should have done this better. I should have said that. I should have been more forthright. I should have had more numbers ready, whatever. All these sorts of shoulds. And, or Laurel shouldn't have been so snarky. <laughs> or, you know, like, like stuff like that. So I'm instantly feeding the inner critic. And giving him like filet mignon, I'm instantly feeding that inner critic to go, yeah, you should have, you idiot. You should have known better, blah, 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 blah. So it's a circular motion of thinking that the should feeds the inner critic and the inner critic keeps shooting on you. So obviously, yes, I can be disappointed if you say no. That is very different though than the inner critic going, you should have done this, you should have done that. Disappointment is fine. We all have that sort of feeling of disappointment when things don't go the way we really like them to. Go for it. Go have a, you know, a coffee or, you know, go feel the disappointment. Go have a nice glass of wine, and then you know, put the big girl pants on the next day and keep moving things forward. It's absolutely fine to feel that disappointment and be in that moment, and take a moment also to ask yourself to the extent that you're shooting on yourself or other people in the situation. It's usually a measure. Again, successful people are, do not shoot on themselves very much, because it's a waste of time. All it is a big stick. It's just a big fat waste of time. It's a learned behavior to shoot on yourself, and or other people. It's a learned behavior, and all it does is create angst and anxiety, and literally, because as you know, Laurel, in the olden days of my study. One of the things I looked at was the use of functional MRIs measuring negative and positive words. So people would stick their head in an MRI and they'd be exposed to different words, both visually, so they would read the word or they'd hear it. And because it was a functional MRI, the researchers could measure parts of the brains that were stimulated by different words. So that's what they did. The word should stimulates parts of the brain related to fear and anxiety it does not re- does not stimulate parts of the brain that are related to motivation or drive or things that we know about how the brain functions so inner critic is fed by the word should in those sorts of situations and those people who should on themselves or others a lot are likely to struggle and procrastinate because they're afraid they're afraid of something happening so because you know, it should work out this way, but what if it doesn't? And if it doesn't, then I should be really annoyed and blah, blah, blah. And, and so the story goes on and on.
0: I think we have to be clear, too. I mean, you use the word, it, it, uh, the term sort of societal, which what was it? Not standard. standard. Sorry? Standard. 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 Sorry. Societal yep. standard. But I standard. want to narrow it down a little bit. Yes, it is a societal standard, but it's also hearing your mom and your dad saying, you should do this. It's your teacher, your sisters or your brothers or your aunts or your uncles or whatever, your teachers, employer, teachers saying, television, no, you do this. And we internalize it so much that I always envision of having this little, like, you, you know, oh God, I can't remember the, oh, there was an advertisement on television years ago where there was like the little devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other the little devil was it. you should mm-hmm. i always think about i work really hard at not putting should in i don't in my language and desperately try not to use it like it flips in sometimes because of it's course part of the language it will yeah but he once you become aware i don't use it and i don't use it on myself either again I desperately try not
2: to <laughs> yeah and I mean I study this stuff and I still should on myself and other people the extent to which I do it though is significantly less and of course there are days when you wake up you've not slept well or you feel unwell you're more vulnerable to your inner critic and you're more vulnerable to that noise it is identifying the noise and then changing the language you know it, it's when you hear I should the fastest way out of I should is to challenge it and say, really, why, why should I? What makes me think I should? And then just sort of move on from there. But what we tend to do is we think something and then we go on a bit of a tangent and we go all the way down a conversation and a rabbit hole and we could sit there for 15, 20 minutes just on the same. I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? I'm an idiot. And it just goes on and on. The best thing to do is stick in a, you know, a metal pole into the mouse wheel and stop it by saying, no, actually, I'm telling myself a lie. I did what I thought in that moment was the best that I could do, and that's okay. And sometimes that's all it takes. But shooting on yourself and other people is a learned behavior, which I love learned behaviors, because that means that you can relearn it a different way. And what I encourage people to do, particularly around this particular Word, this language stuff is share this conversation with others, somebody that you trust. so I know, for example, Laurel, if you hear me shooting on myself, you're going to tell me about it. You will say to me, I'm hearing you shoot on yourself, or you know something similar. And when you work with other people to and they point it out to you that perhaps you're shooting on yourself, then they can see what you don't. I don't know how many times I've done a presentation where I'm including this little bit and then somebody so somebody will then sort of stick up their hand and say, so what you're telling me is that I should be better at not (laughs) shitting on myself. And that's like, oh my God, you know, like, and then the whole audience cracks up. We don't always recognize that we're saying it. So inviting somebody else to support you and you them helps them too. Because when really anally retentive psychologists research this stuff people will say the word should out loud something like 30 times a day wow so if you're shooting out loud 30 times a day imagine how many times you're doing it in your head to yourself because we know that what comes out of our mouth is the tip of an iceberg so we're shooting on ourselves an awful lot and i know people that basically start their day with I should do this when I get to the office. I should be able to do that. I, you know, I shouldn't have done such and such. That's how they wake up in the morning. And it's just not the way, again, to feed your confidence, your self-esteem, and your self-efficacy is, you know, it, it just so counterproductive. And it's such a simple little thing to change. You know, saying to somebody, please, could you point out to me when you hear me shooting on myself or even a variation of should? where I'm labeling things like I ought to have, or uh, these are just variations of should. So, you know, getting somebody else to help you with that and you them, such a simple little thing to do. And I've seen people fundamentally change how they approach their entire day as they start to minimize the word should. So as we minimize the use of that word,
0: both externally and internally, now we are in a much better place and on our mindset, we're in a more a positive place. So, how do we then? Again, I'm going to bring it back to real estate. But how do we bolster ourselves up so that we're even more positive? Because we all know we know it in our heads, but maybe not in our hearts. If that's one way to put it, right? That we know that positive people seem to achieve a lot more. Or achieve. Yep. A, I'm going to say a lot more. Achieve a lot. That positive people. It's not difficult for them. At least lately, that's lately, so a perception. Literally.
2: Right? That's no, a perception. In, 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 in research into positive psychology, for example, we do know that people who demonstrate positive well-being, which includes positive emotions, positive mindset, positive physical state of being, et cetera, et cetera, tend to, to lean towards their definition of success more than those people who do not have that. There is great value in negative emotions and negative thinking. There can be extremely good value in that. For example, in research, it's been shown that people that are optimistic, like overly optimistic, tend to have blinders on and don't see obvious problems or obstacles because they're just everything is nirvana. Everything is going to be wonderful. And they just keep pushing forward, even though there's all these signals around them saying, oh, danger ahead sort of thing. So so. Pessimism has its place. Negative thinking has its place, but it's when it's managed. And what we tend to do, because the brain is naturally wired, this is one thing it is naturally wired for, is to notice negative things first. When we start on a tangent of negative thinking, the brain will stay highly focused on that and it will just keep regurgitating negative stuff. That's where we need to step in and say, I don't need to be thinking this way. I don't need to be shitting on myself. It's not required. I don't want to be doing this anymore. So therefore I won't do it. And I don't, you know, it sounds more simple than it is. I get, but that is a habit of thinking. Managing the mindset is a skill. It's a learnable skill. I'm not talking about personality stuff here. I'm not talking about Clinical mental health issues. What I'm talking about is our day to day and the noise in our head. It's noise, which means it can be changed. It's not, you know, it's not required thinking. And it really is about going, Isn't that interesting? Oh, look, isn't that interesting? I'm thinking that I should have been able to do such and such. Isn't that interesting that I'm thinking that way? I know that I don't need to think that way. So I'm not going to. Okay. I'm going to go order my coffee now, you know, (laughs) like. It can be like that. And I've seen people do it. I mean, what people are that. So I wouldn't talk so much about a positive, you know, positive attitude more than a managed attitude or a understood attitude, that self-awareness of what am I thinking? Do I need to be thinking this way? How am I going to choose to change that thinking? Oh, look, here I am changing that thinking. That's what I mean by sort of like a managed attitude, a managed, you know, mindset is that versus positive. Okay. So I'm
0: going to bring that right back to where we started the beginning when we talked about the desired versus performance outcomes. And I'm I'm working on my performance outcome, which is calling two people a day. Performance so, goal, you mean? Yeah. Oh, sorry, my, my performance goal. Yeah, yeah, my performance goal. Two people a day. And I do this for a week. And I'm getting nowhere. Like yep. nowhere. Okay. Yep. So the very first thing I'm going to say is, well, obviously I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I've done it for two weeks. I don't know. I'm just giving an example here. Yep. I'm doing something wrong. I should probably be, dizzy. I should be probably <laughs> doing <laughs> that. Yeah, There's that shit. <laughs> right? Yep. I should change things. How do I handle that? Because I'm a real estate investor. I've got my my outcome. I know what I want. Right. And I'm very clear on it. So, what do I okay. do? Because it is so easy to get into that. I can't yes, do this. I'm not good
2: at it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, there we go. Yeah. And that noise. The first thing you said, though, which I found interesting, was obviously I'm doing something wrong. That phrase is usually the first response. If something's not working, then obviously I'm doing something wrong. And again, that is a learned. Phrase. There is no evidence that you are doing something wrong. What's happening is, you know, the people who you're either trying to get a hold of or want to work with you, it's not working. So it's not working. It's not a matter of I'm doing something wrong. But again, we've learned to say that if something I'm trying to create doesn't work, then somehow it's all my fault. And I suck. So obviously I the key then, though, is okay. You've been making these calls for a week, let's say two, and you're not getting any further. You are, however, achieving your performance goal. So step number one is to say, I'm doing what I said I was going to do. So I'm proud of that. And consciously congratulate yourself for that. Look at me. I'm doing this, even though I keep getting this rejection or whatever it is, I'm still doing that. Yay me. Now, because to move things forward. We must measure and adjust our behavior. It's okay, so I've made two calls a day for two weeks and I'm calling these types of people, okay? What could I change? Is maybe it's four calls a day. Maybe it's, I shift from calling this type of investor to this type of investor over here. Or maybe I take a completely different approach. Maybe I send emails, maybe I do something else. What else could I do? Endeavoring to keep the outcome arm's length. What else can I do? And then how can I measure that and adjust my behavior? You, t- you want to take persistent, consistent action over time. But After a period of time, if that action is not generating anything, then you do need to look at it and see how you might change that behavior. And that is the responsibility you have is to make that assessment of what's working and what's not, and then adjust what you're doing. It's like with everything else and doing that at arm's length. The key though is to manage that mindset and not say, obviously I'm doing something wrong. I should do this. I should do that. I should know how to do this better. I should, La la blah blah, 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 If that's happening, you got to address that first. You got to address the mindset first. I'm making these phone calls twice a day. I'm getting rejected all the time and I'm still moving forward. Yay me. I deserve a coffee, you know, a fancy coffee or something like that. And it does happen all the time. Life's not fair. You know, That you're not going to get everything that you shoot for. It just doesn't work that way. Even the most successful people I know, the most successful people I know just keep getting up every morning. And sometimes it's very difficult to do that. Sometimes it can be really draining to do that. They just keep doing it. The worst thing that you can do, though, is be shooting on yourself or comparing yourself to somebody else. Yes, get mentors, but they're not you and you're not them. So comparing yourself to somebody else isn't actually a good strategy for growth. Following the actions of another person, that's a good strategy. Comparing yourself to their outcomes, not so much. I don't know if that answered your question to them, Yes, I, yes, I think it does. I
0: think it does. And you know what, Nancy? We could talk about this. Well, you and I could talk about this for hours and hours. Yeah, we
2: and we have in <laughs> the past.
0: <best. laughs> but you know what? We're going to do. We're going to move to the lightning round now, and these are simple questions.
1: We're going to ask you to answer. M T G T E A M. And check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email Daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or Michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. Catherine, would you like to start with the first one? Ah, absolutely. This has been quite fascinating listening to you, and a lot of light bulbs have been going off. So excellent. But as you've gone through this what is taking the should out of it taking that particular outside of the should what is the best advice you've ever received from from anybody to be able to manage their mindset
2: outside of should
1: because that outside to me, of is, should the the best okay
2: recognizing that most things that i'm thinking are learned behaviors not facts recognizing that for me i think in my own life and my own development has been an important adjustment for me that most of what i'm thinking is a learned behavior that i can change okay excellent okay
0: you're talking to the nancy i'm the 18 year old nancy <laughs> i don't think i like this question <laughs>
2: Knowing what you know now, what would you say to that 18-year-old Nancy? Just one, what was one thing that you say to 18-year-old Nancy. Exactly what I just said, because my head was so filled with noise when I was 18, and it was negative noise. It was all the things that I should have been able to do, that I was doing wrong, that I was just like. You know, I sucked. I was a rebel in my family, so I was causing all sorts of grief to my parents and all that stuff. So it was more on the lines of I don't have to believe
1: that I'm not worthy. That's that's a good one. It's and I think it's quite rampant throughout society and throughout people. Like it's to have the awareness to move forward. So that's excellent. So what is just taking a little bit of a left turn? From this, what is the one thing you can't leave the house without doing, excluding your cell phone? Without doing? Yeah, without doing or without having with you? One thing, there isn't one thing. I can
2: leave my cell phone behind quite happily. I don't think there is one thing. I've been asked this question before, and I the, other than my keys, I can leave the house with I don't care. I don't, it doesn't whatever. OK. All right, it's your house keys that's what
0: you need but what's the one attribute you had to choose one attribute because i don't answer pretty well but what's the one attribute that you would say has made you
2: successful because you are successful an attribute is my ability to stand on a stage and speak Right? i mean that is that what you mean by an attribute in this well, attribute i
0: think i more of a, a, a characteristic maybe it's the better word characteristic is
2: oh my sarcasm <laughs> <laughs> i was really not expecting that and...
0: hence <laughs>
1: my yes. brave snark, yeah
2: the snark <laughs> yes one would call some would call it quick wit <laughs> so that's great well anyway
0: thank you very much nancy I think you've given us all a lot to think about. I'm not
2: going to tell people they should think about it. I'm
0: just going to say.
2: Yeah, I invite people to think about it. And really, I invite people to talk with others about what they've heard that they agree with or disagree with in this conversation. Because then that's where somebody's real learning comes, is taking a piece of what they've heard us talking about and doing something with it and discussing it with somebody else. And where could people reach you? What's the easiest way for them to reach you?
0: NancyMorris.com. Okay. That's it's pretty easy. way. Yep. All right. Super so Nancy, we'll have you back in a few months because then we could talk about a whole bunch of stuff. It was great. Thank you. It was great to be back. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Catherine, as we said, we could talk to Nancy for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and not
1: Absolutely. everything. <laughs> Absolutely. She's, she helps you bring the realization for your managing your own self awareness and being able to say just that one tiny word to take that should out of your, out of your vocabulary and take that with a sense of curiosity and self awareness on how to be able to adjust and move forward in order to, you know, what's the difference between a goal, what's something that's a performance goal, what's something that is an actual goal that you can have control over or what you don't how to manage it, but how to keep the mindset for you to be able to stay on track. It was just, it was a phenomenal two, two episode conversation. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, first part of this interview, go
0: listen to it. Cause you know, Nancy just, she just has so much to share and it really is helpful for real estate investors and for anyone who's doing anything. Frankly, I don't care what kind of business you're in. It's really helpful. Meanwhile, we're going to say goodbye for now and come back next week and listen to another podcast. Bye for now.
1: Bye.